One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome. You are watching Unheard the channel that attempts to push back against herd mentality and look out for independent thinking wherever we can find it. So one thing we've heard quite a lot about in recent years and months is the Orthodox Jewish community. There has been two big Netflix series about it. Last year there was something called Unorthodox that followed the fictional life of a young lady from a Hasidic community in Brooklyn outside New York who basically left. She came to Europe, she went to join her a mother who was living in a homosexual relationship and she eventually came to the decision it wasn't for her and she was going to pursue her dreams in the world of music uh, over in Germany. Now this year we've had something else called My Unorthodox Life uh, and that follows a fashion entrepreneur who pretty much had the similar sort of story. She began in a orthodox community and the happy ending at the end of that, rather like the happy ending at the end of the fictional orthodox story, was that she left. And here at Unheard, as I mentioned, we want to find out what the other perspective feels like. So does it ever happen that the reverse journey takes place? Do people begin life seeking musical dreams in the secular modern world and find their way into an orthodox community? Well, the answer, of course, is yes. And one person who has had exactly that journey is called Louise Leach, and she joins us now to tell us all about it. So you heard my intro there. Have you noticed this phenomenon where there's a lot of stories at the moment focusing on the Orthodox community, but sort of explaining how people can leave it? Yes. Uh, and you're quite right. And it makes a fascinating story, especially when you look at this unorthodox life, uh, my unorthodox life. And interestingly, my life, as you explained, took a complete it was a it was like a role reversal of Julia Hart's um, experience. And um, and now that I'm in it, there's actually quite a big movement of people like myself, which people, I guess, don't really talk about because it is um, going against the grain of what, you know, is happening. Let's kind of trace your story if we could a bit. So you were you were in this um, you took part as a contestant in the TV program called Pop Stars, which is was a precursor to the X Factor, one of these talent competitions. And that was what, 20 years ago, something like that? Yeah, just over 20 years ago. Larry runs right through me. The alphabet runs right from A to Z. Conversations, hesitations in my mind. Were you Jewish at this point? I mean, are you Jewish by background and but not religiously? Or how would you describe yourself age 20? Okay, so good question. So religiously, you're, you're Jewish by birth. If your mother's Jewish, you're, you're Jewish. And we were brought up, I would say, 
not even orthodox or modern orthodox. It was more a secular upbringing, as in I knew I was Jewish. I went to Sunday school, didn't really want to be there, found it quite boring having to learn Hebrew. It was quite difficult, wasn't really interested. Um, but we, we observed the High Holy Days, which is like the Jewish New Year. It's like the standard. I guess it's like having Christmas dinner once a year. Everyone does it, even if you're not religious kind of thing. So we did, uh, you know, the Jewish New Year. And then there's actually another one that follows it called Yom Kippur, which we've got this week, which is where you fast for a day, even if you're not that religious. Most people know of it or do it. Um, and that was kind of it. So we did Friday nights. That's a big thing. It's like the Sabbath, the equivalent of, say, Sunday lunch. Um, but we weren't observing the Sabbath properly. And for those who don't know, um, from uh, sunset on a Friday to nightfall on Saturday night, you have like this 25 hour period of the Sabbath. And if you're observing it properly, you switch your phones off, you don't drive, you literally do no work. And there's a lot of rules that come with that. And so your, so your university kind of experience, I mean, without wishing for, to, to pry, I mean, I don't want you to tell me too much, but... <laughs> are we talking about a kind of what people describe as a normal university experience? You know, are you going to parties yes. and boyfriends and that kind of stuff? Yes, all the balls and all the parties. and But alongside that, I guess because of my background, having gone to all these dance classes, I wasn't your average student who was partying the whole time. I was at lacrosse practice and um, the, I used to play lacrosse competitively. And, and these shows we used to put on, it almost became like it was our life. Like we'd be at these rehearsals three times a week. But yes, partying around it and doing all the typical university um, lifestyle. And there was a Jewish society there. And I kind of attended, but... I, w I wasn't someone that you would describe in any way, shape or form orthodox. And in fact, the older I got and the more freedom you have, the more I was dropping to the point that when it came to this um, pop stars audition, um, which I fell upon almost straight after university, when I made this decision to kind of make it with my parents support, we were going to do a year of me going to audition, see where it ended up. And if not, I'd go and get a proper job kind of thing. So um, pop stars came along quite quickly. It was actually the second audition I'd been to and the as I got to the more final rounds, it actually fell over Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year. And even in my non-religious days, that was a day where you came home, you went to synagogue. And I remember calling my parents going, oh, you know, I've made it to this next round in Birmingham and it's the weekend of Rosh Hashanah, so I'm not going to be home. And I remember their reaction, not because we were particularly religious, but that was quite a, a bit of an eyebrow raise. Oh, right. You're not coming back for Rosh Hashanah. OK, but this was a big deal, this audition. So they didn't put up too much of a fight, but that was kind of where I was holding. I was starting to really drop even the basics. So what were you hoping for? What was what was the, the dream at that stage? Well, I guess, you know, the Spice Girls had had their success and all the girl bands were unfolding at that time. And I think every girl who liked to sing and dance wanted to be the next Spice Girl group. You know, you had All Saints were a thing. So when these auditions were coming along, I'd been to one already, which was you don't know when you're auditioning for these things what they're going to be, but it turned out, and I got down to the last round, it turned out it was to replace Anton Deck. And so I didn't get that audition, but I got quite far. And one of the producers at ITV, um, they must have called me and said, look, you need to come to this audition. It's very similar to the last one, but it's a TV documentary series. So I thought, OK, that sounds fun. He said, it's singing and dancing. They're looking for a band. Yes, the search is now on to five, five young people out of 3,000 hopefuls will be made into a brand new band that could one day rival Steps. And although you, you didn't win, you did well on that series. Is that is that fair? Yes, yes. I got down to the last 20. So out of like the thousands and thousands, and could they kind of dragged it out? Um, it gave us about, must have had about at least 10 weeks of airtime on this primetime show. 
until they got to the last, you know, final cuts. So around this time, what happens? You, you, you go to stay with an Orthodox Jewish family or what was your first sort of contact with the more Orthodox life? Just to give you a bit of background, my sister, she was a West End performer. She understudied Eliza Doolittle on Drury Lane and was about to play Cosette in Les Mis uh, for any musical theatre people. And she also quit to keep, she's also been on the same kind of journey as me. Yeah, and so that's kind of relevant. So she became religious at that time, if you like. She went to Israel on one of these learning trips and came back all religious. I was like, what has happened to you? She was wearing long skirts. And and I had this dream that we were going to be in showbiz together and it kind of was killed in that moment. So I thought she'd gone mad and I was very unaccepting because I think I was on my journey to fame and fortune kind of thing. I thought, well, there goes that. And then when I got this invitation to spend the Sabbath in Golders Green properly with a friend, I was like, you know, I'm going to go just for fun, just so I can call my sister up who was back at university to say, you never guess what, I just did Shabbos properly, the Sabbath. It was more like for laughs kind of thing, just to have fun. And then, of course, I went and the experience was just, it was mind blowing and it was just nothing what I expected at all. And then that was my changing point, really, for me. That was when in my head. I was so like, who was that with? Who sort of brought you into that? So it was just like a group of friends who went and they they weren't that religious themselves, but they were friends with people who were. And I, I can't explain the community. Like I stayed with a family I've never met before, but that's quite usual for Orthodox people to have this open home and just welcome guests. And they had this beautiful Friday night laid out for 30 people. I thought there was a party going on because even with my family, when all the cousins were together, they'd say be 15 of us. But this was like a banquet. And I said to one of the kids, wow, is it someone's birthday or something? She was like, oh, no, we do this every week. And they had this like open home with students and young professionals and all walks of life there. And it was it was quite amazing. And then how f- sort of soon after that did you change your way of life? So I realised that there was a big journey of learning, but it was that moment of the Sabbath of I just looked at everyone and I was like, this is how I want to live my life. So after that Sabbath, I met with this amazing lady um, called Joanne Dove, who's she's just fantastic. And she's a a Robertson um, who teaches. And she was really she's really there for everyone. I remember thinking, why she want to help me like I'm a stranger to her. But she really helped me on my journey. She said, right, this is where you're going to go to learn Hebrew. This is where you're going to learn to keep the Sabbath. And so she really held my hand along the way. And in the meantime, I had to kind of not cut ties as such, because I'm still friends with all the old, you know, people in my pop group, but I was in a group. We were very close to being signed. We had a management and it was all going really well. We were getting sponsorship deals. We'd recorded demos and and I was presenting a radio show and I kind of had, I knew that I wouldn't be able to keep doing that because it doesn't, you know, first of all, when you keep Sabbath and you're trying to do, be in showbiz, if you tell people you can't work Friday and Saturday, they're like, well, <laughs> see ya. So can I ask, this might seem like a, a bit of a weird question, and it's, it's quite a long time ago, so you might not recall, but do you feel that you were sort of feeling fulfilled and complete before that, and it just took you by surprise? Or do you feel that you were sort of looking and weren't feeling that the way you were living as before was missing something? I was fulfilled. I was, I was like living the high life, if you like, like the secular dream. Interestingly, my husband, for another discussion, he was soul searching. He'd been to India. He'd met the Dalai Lama. He was really on a journey of like, what's the meaning of life? It can't be this kind of thing. And then that's how he ended up living an orthodox life. But I wasn't really soul searching. I, I really enjoyed myself. Um, but so it took you by surprise? Yes. And it wasn't the ideology and the, the afterlife. And what's the, it was just that feeling of seeing these family units together 
not getting, you know, not getting distracted by, I guess, and now it's even worse with, you know, the phone and computer, everything follows us around 24 seven. But even 20 years ago, you really just appreciated that 25 hours where you just got to sit down, eat good food, speak with people, really connect um, and talk about meaningful things, not just kind of where you're going, what you're getting your hair done, like tomorrow at the hairdressers kind of thing. It was so that that that's what I fell in love with. So if we fast forward, then you, you've you've married um, an Orthodox Jewish man and you'll you yep. have is it five children? Yes, we've got five children from five all the way to 17. Wow. Yes. So you are you're having chased the kind of secular dream. You're now living the Orthodox dream. Is is that is that how you feel it, it, it should be described? I mean, yeah. how's it gone? This this huge decision you made way back then. Well, I think it's amazing because I I always look back and I wonder had I stuck on that trail, where would I have ended up? Like, would I have placed enough? value on marriage to even have got married early enough, you know, or missed the boat and still being 40 wondering, you know, am I going to meet a soulmate? Am I ever going to have kids? So, um, you know, from that point of view, it was a brilliant direction, you know, it completely changed the course of direction for the good. And I just think it just, you carry on living your life. And I think that's the problem with these shows because they show the opposite. You kind of think, and it's kind of how I thought actually. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Before I became religious, you know, if you told me to describe a very orthodox woman, I literally would have pictured up someone from Fiddler on the Roof, like a little scarf on their head, an apron, you know, cooking in the kitchen, even though we do do a lot of that. But you know what I mean? Very stereotypical, um, not really the truth. I mean, a lot of my orthodox friends, they're high flyers. I've got friends who run interior design businesses, fashion houses with shops in L.A., New York. You know, people are doing stuff. And I think the PR that these shows give is that you can't really do that. So, you know, I love it. It gives you the framework of family, the really important things that, that are the most important. And then you can go on living all the other things, career and, you know, everything else that I guess the secular world would value, but within the framework of this orthodox life. So one of the kind of outward signs of um, uh, women who are living the Jewish orthodox life is that there's modest dressing um, and obviously wear, uh, uh, is it pronounced a shetel? Um, a shetel. A shetel. Yeah, very good. Um, with, so that your your hair is only seen by your husband and your close family. Yeah. How do you feel about that aspect? Because that, I would imagine, is something that modern secular people would, a lot of them might recoil from that. It might feel oppressive in some way. Yeah, I have to say, even for me, when I, I knew I was going to do it, because I kind of bought into it, like it was, it's kind of like, this is how I want to live my life. I believe in this and and therefore I take everything on board. Um but it was a it is a bit of a culture shock, especially when, you know, your mother and grandmother and your own family haven't done it. But um, it's like the Sabbath. People can say the Sabbath is repressive. You can't do this. You can't do that. But it depends how you view it. I view it the reverse. I'm like, it's freedom because you're not tied to your phone. You've got actually time to be. So, again, with the with the hair covering, I just look at it as it's one of the things that we do and I just embrace it and it has its perks and it has its negatives but i don't feel repressed but what's the mean what's the what's the meaning of it i mean what's the purpose of that do you do you feel i mean what i guess you could i understand the liberation you get from a sabbath free time connecting with people what what possible advantage do you get from having to be so modestly dressed and, and covering the hair so there are some things you don't get i have to state by like say like in the torah um you have like even keeping kosher, we don't know why we do it. You can attribute, oh, there's some health benefits, but you do it. And there's some commandments that we understand, like don't kill, don't steal, they make sense. And then there's others like, say, cover your hair. There are meanings of it. And I'm actually not the authority on this. Um, I just know that you derive it from the Torah, from our, um, our Bible, if you like. And, um, and I just embrace it. That isn't because if you do this, it means this kind of thing. You're so, one idea is that your hair, after you've got married, it's a central part of a woman and you save it for your husband. If you want to look at black and white perks, it's great when you're having a bad hair day to... I guess I more mean like it, it belongs... It's quite common across a lot of religions, isn't it? And it belongs to the idea of kind of modesty and, and, uh, and that sort of modern secular women, are, there's a kind of over-sexualisation or... Uh, they're kind of overly publicly sexual. Um, and it, the the modest dressing seems to fit into that sort of idea. And I just wonder whether you agree with that. Do you, do you think that there is too much 
sort of public sexuality around and that, that society would be better with less of it? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting discussion because I was talking to my husband about this the other day. When you look back at photos from the Victorian times and how people dressed, you know, people are wearing hats and the women wore gloves. They were completely covered up from head to toe. They looked like religious ladies, if you like, but they weren't. That was just the normal. That was how people dress. And there is no question that over the years, it's becoming increasingly whatever you want to call it, over-sexualized. People are wearing less and less, showing more and more. And, you know, that's, I guess it's freedom. You dress how you want to dress. Everyone has to feel right doing what they're doing, but you definitely follow the society and what people are doing. And I think that has 100% changed. And what's the, what's, do you think is the effect for women of that? Um, I mean, because that's something that we cover quite a lot and is a, a, an interesting ongoing debate, whether that is liberating truly for women because they own their own bodies. They can be choose when to be sexual and when not to be. Um, and the idea is that's what liberation should consist of. And then there are other people who think that in, in, overall it's not so good for women. Do you, do you have a view on that? Yeah, I, th I, I do. I agree with the, the kind of the opposite thought of that. It's not so liberating. That's not really feminism to me. If you're feeling the need, if you really think about why you're doing it and you're doing it because that's what you do, like if you want to make it in, I'm not saying that's how women think, but I'm thinking if that is why you're doing it, then that, that really isn't feminism. I think you've got to be doing it for the right reasons. And I just think there is that huge pressure. I see it with my own daughters. I've got two teenagers and social media is just churning out. So I was actually going to ask you, you've got two daughters. Um, are they allowed social media? What, what's, what are the house rules? I mean, so, what, what steps do you take to control what they're exposed to? Well, this is a bit of a can of worms because this is like, this is the chat. This is my challenge because we're bringing them up modern orthodox, if you like. You know, I think if you look at the, the program, which one was it? Unorthodox, the one where they've come from the, and, you know, that's kind of, I don't even like to use the word extreme, but that's very right wing where they take, you know, everything. Ultra orthodox. All, all the ultra orthodox, the commandments are taken to the nth degree. And you see the merit in that because they are putting fences around fences around fences. So you're just not even going to dream of doing anything else because they're protecting it. The only danger with all the extra rules is when the people break away through that barrier, they feel like there's nothing left because it's like it was all or nothing kind of thing. So we're not bringing them up like that, but then the way we are bringing them up does present its challenges because it's like, yes, you're allowed social media, but we're, you know, okay, phone's got to be off at nine o'clock, but they're still exposed. So it's more bringing them up with an awareness and, a, and hopefully a love of everything we're doing. We're living it and breathing it. And I'm hoping you can come back to me in a few years when... <laughs> the child rearing is, you know, at its end and they're all adults in the real world. But I'm hoping that they'll, they, 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 they do see, if you ask my 17 and 15 year old, because I've also got a 10 and a five year old daughter, they're a bit young to kind of, we don't have those challenges yet. Um, but the older two do value everything and you kind of, you need to want to live it. You can't, you can't force it, but you just have to live it and breathe it. I was going to ask you, because pretty soon they'll be going to university and we'll be at, you know, the next, the cycle will have, completed. I'm wondering what your reaction would be if they take the reverse decision. And one of them, you know, the, the university experience opens their eyes to a different way of living, and they want to leave it all behind. What, what would you say? Would you try to stop them? How would you feel? I guess I'd support them from their journey. I think at the end of the day, you can't force people to live a certain way. I'd like to think they'd want to 
embrace the way we brought them up. But I guess we'll have to see. So we mentioned feminism very um, in passing. I mean, would you consider yourself a feminist at this point? Not really, but maybe if, no. I, I haven't actually, I, I was never a feminist, like, you know, women, equality. I'm very like live and let live. And I guess we live in a privileged time now where, you know, women's rights and everything. I don't feel like, I, I, I don't even feel in the secular society in the unorthodox world that there is such a problem uh, nowadays. I actually posted something once on my Facebook about Zumba and I was like, it was a Zumba advert and it was like, for one hour, we're not thinking about the laundry, the to-do list. Anyway, this this Jewish lady went mad. She went, oh my gosh, you of all people as a career woman, I'm so surprised. And I was like, but who said doing the laundry? Like, I liked, I actually like doing the laundry. I don't get much time to do it, but it's just an interesting, I find, I find the feminist movement, the real extremists, it's a bit ironic because it's like by shouting from the rooftops, I want to do this. It's like, it's almost like you're saying men are better. It's like, why do you want to be so, why do you want to do everything? The man's, I love what we're doing. It's great. We get to have kids. We, it's a different, we're just meant to do different things. Do you feel that if you lived in a country where the, the a way of life such as yours is actually the law, and there are lots of countries like that for, in different ways, you would feel differently. Do you think part of the way you, you've been empowered is that for you it's a voluntary choice and that you know you could go back whenever you liked? Do you think that's an yeah, important Yeah, that's a really, aspect? really, really interesting question, actually. I've, I've never thought about it like that. And you are right, because my kids have been brought up without the choice, if you like, but there is always that choice. Yeah, I guess I wonder how it is. I just think extremism, if you like, is 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 can be problematic so maybe if it was law and not everyone wanted it people generally might feel differently because you can't dictate any you know you can't dictate how people live it just doesn't work do you think there's a sort of change in mood do you think the tide is turning in any way do you do you notice that you're hearing more about this kind of thing or or, or do you feel like the sort of ultra-liberal, ultra-secular kind of society is just carrying on? I think both. I think they're carrying on and it's really going fast in that direction. And then, like you said, there is this movement because when I know my story sounds like really unique and maybe I'm the only person who's done it, but there, when I was becoming religious and I was going to these uh, like learning centres to kind of learn how to read Hebrew and, and all the rest of it, I, I bumped into old friends of mine from you know, back in the day, and, and we're like pointing at each other, like we're the last, we were both like the last people that we thought that would have turned, to, you know, to becoming more more religious. And, and there is that movement. And I think because it is so extreme nowadays, if you like, you know, with the pop culture and celebrity culture with all, you know, the Botox and the the plastic surgery, you know what I mean? You know, that kind of like look that everyone's going for. Um, and, and I think it's not like the people are rebelling, but I think it's just it does by default remove you a bit from a lot of this kind of wholesome family values and 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 values that really are important at the end of the day. And I think that has been a turning point for a lot of people, I guess, not just even Jewishly. I think I'm sure, it, you know, there's stories like this in in, in all religions um, and faiths and beliefs or even just lifestyle choices, just looking to lead a bit more of not being, you know, not letting your kids being brought up by social media and just kind of, that's why I love the Sabbath. You've got this 25 hours where there's no TV, no outside influences. I, Cause I think but without that, I wouldn't even get to talk to my kids properly. Otherwise they really are, it's like a rush 
it's like a rat race of, of you know, you're living in London and I just do feel that. So there, I think there is a big movement to mark against that blatant movement away from these core values. Louise Leach, thank you so much for, for talking to us and telling about it. <laughs> oh, thank you for hearing my story. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> Thank you to Louise Leach, um, a dance teacher, owns her own dance school, mother of five, living a Orthodox Jewish life in Northwest London. She was telling us about what the reverse journey looks like, what you might not hear on these Netflix programs about people leaving communities. She says that she knows lots of people who are going in the other direction and gave some really interesting reasons why. So thanks to her and thanks to you, this was Unheard. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.